two, 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 one, two. So, I'm here with Patrick Cruz and Teresa Kempmeyer. Patrick Cruz, say hello. Hola. Teresa Kempmeyer, say hello. Hi. <laughs> so, you are, you've been installing. We're inside Kretsch right now. And Patrick has painted every single surface in the whole uh, room. And everything's under sheets, like they're being protected or bubble wrapped. There's a lot of bubble wrapped objects. All the museum collection is off the shelves. And yeah. So do you want to ex explain a little bit about that? Um, so this work was a response to the collection of the museum and part of my invitation was to do an intervention to respond to the objects and to the artists that have participated in the five chapters of Who's Museum collaboration with Kretz. Um, so in a way, it's me trying to translate what the collection has been through time. And it's sort of like a, I guess I imagined it kind of like a cave with cave drawings where you get to explore uh, each object or drawings and trying to find connections amongst them. Um, this work ended up being titled Flash Museum because through conversation we decided with Laura that these could be used as designs for a potential tattoo, uh, which has already happened. And the wrapped objects are essentially the collection that uh, we wanted to show how how this kind of ghostly gesture of emptying can actually reveal more of its presence by removing it. Um, and its sort of uh, relationship with the drawing is a kind of uh, transfer from the actual objects. So this kind of back and forth, yeah. And you, Teresa, you've been involved in whose museum? for seven. seven years. And you respond to inquiries about anything to do with the museum. If somebody contacts you, then you will uh, respond with what that is. Do you want to talk about that? Or? Yeah, sure. So we started a remote support um, where I could reply to any inquiries visitors might have, or also visiting artists and museum staff. Um, just like any bigger institution or website might have it. Um, it's very generic looking file. You can cross a checkbox for what you would like to inquire about. It might be provenance, a ritual, explanations. It could be, there's a number of things. You can look at it at whose museum at Kretz, and you can fill out a form and it will be sent to me and I'll respond within a week to your email ac account. Mm. 
we currently haven't decided whether we're going to present um, previous requests at all. Um, but if we do it, your data is protected. Mm. <laughs> That's a weird thing to say. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice way to contribute because I get to hear about what's happening here without actually being present. And usually it's um, requests that don't directly relate to the chapters and what's happening, but rather to whose museum um, as a basic structure, mm. um, questions about objects that I then have to go and research, or it's a little bit part of my practice maybe now also mm. to respond. How do you research an object if the, say the files are here in Malmo? If somebody asks you about a specific object, how do you research that? Actually, I might just be a little bit like you too. Uh, first thing I do is go and ask Laura and do an interview with her because she usually knows and remembers a lot about um, how things were donated, who did it, um, what the context was. But then sometimes we also have um, a few digitized files that I can flip through. And, you know, since I, I feel quite free to interpret um, what the request is and how I want to respond to it, you might not get quite the answer you expect. Yeah. Maybe it requires a digitalization process of the... <laughs> which Laura had before. Everything was digital or it was archived on the site, but as far as I know, it kind of uh, broke down. It destroyed itself. Uh, do you know about Do you know about that situation? So Laura and we decided this year that we'd start um, really making a digital archive and it's a lot of work and we both don't have a lot of time and right now I think the actual space and community and exhibitions at Kretz are more important but once we get around to it we'd like to really make it more sustainable and accessible. Um, Patrick, you've known Laura from previous life in Canada. Were you aware of Who's Museum at that time? It's actually how I got to meet Laura was when Who's Museum was initially taking objects from their band tours and she was doing her graduation piece and we met through a mutual friend and I had she invited me to collaborate on a paint on a photograph that I had that I painted. And she also gave me random objects like drumsticks and books for me to pour plaster on. Um, so a kind of a strange intervention. Actually, it's not that different from from what I did here in a way. Were those the first altered works in the collection? The first altered work was the finger that got painted by Susanna Brown. But after that, Patrick Cruz. Patrick Cruz has not filled out his form. <laughs> Laura Hatfield looks absolutely incensed. He's altered the whole space. He's altered the space. He's not filled out a form. <laughs> and I'm honorary member. <laughs> I just have a thing in my mind when you talked about plaster. Um, putting things in plaster and then also painting this. I just thought of the death mask. I know there was a death mask over here. Is it a death mask? No, it's just a plaster of somebody's life mask. 
<laughs> yeah. Why is it called Ghost Collection? I guess we were thinking about traces um, and history in general and museological practices and how most of the things... Uh, I think there was a, a f uh, kind of research that said that maybe 30% of museum collections are never seen. So in a way, it, it's kind of a an echo of museological practices in general, but also this gesture of emptying and draping and protecting the works in a way creates this ghostly appearance and transferring them into line work also becomes this kind of phantom or a kind of shadow in a way. Yeah. And in a way, there's, there's also something performative with these ghosts now that they're on stage um, because they used to that the structures where participants uh, sat here on stage with the benches and now it's kind of a reversal it's the museum that's performing in front of the audiences do you think you might get one of these ghosts as a tattoo just as we've already done today I will uh, consider it very deeply. <laughs> I have an idea of what my next tattoo is going to be. So when yous were talking about getting tattoos, then I was like, oh, maybe I can get that tattoo that I want. It's from a, a book. It's called like the History of Images. Or no, it's like a image dictionary. And it's just, it's like also... A, a sort of cave painting of a whale, but it's all kind of separated out into... We have a whale here. Let me point that. Yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want it, some fucked up fish. <laughs> that's, that's what whales look like in 10 years. Yeah. I almost got that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be, I'd be open to getting a, a tattoo. But I think it has to feel... I have to feel something. I think it would be very nice for everyone to see what you'll eventually decide to get. Um, it's very hard because the longer you look at these walls, the more you find that you've not seen everything. There's just new drawings that keep popping out. And I think one that Laura brought up um, these past days was that imagine if all of these things that Patrick synthesized onto the walls from the collection, whether it be from drawings or paperwork or objects that we have, um, or even things just ending up in this space, part of the works that Alana or Max or someone else brought in. If all these things go onto people's bodies, maybe we can get rid of the actual stuff and it will still all be there. What about henna tattoos? Well, oh, yeah. What is it? Does everything have to be forever? Do you think your body will be cryogenically frozen and the tattoo will stay forever? No, I would think it would disappear slowly over time. <laughs> and is that is that bad? No. No, nothing's forever. Hmm. Yeah, that's the one thing I think with objects from museums that are kind of like never seen. It's like they're on ice waiting for relevance they're like preserved in a sense that's like hmm 
these don't have any relevance right now, so we're not going to put them out in the exhibition. Maybe some things could go into collections of museums and then just eventually just throw them away. What have you deaccessioned? We in the past made a dead file for deaccession works, but we came to realize that the things that get deaccessioned aren't really deaccessioned at all, so they're still part of the collection wherever they are. So we don't use them very much anymore. So are they dead or...? Just makes me think about X Files. And I just want to ask, like, do you believe in aliens? I haven't ruled it out, but I believe many people who've donated to the collection are fond of aliens. Mm. Me too. Do you believe in aliens, Patrick? Number one, I love aliens. Well, not all. I don't like gray aliens because the those guys put probes in your butt. <laughs> and they harvest your organs. And there's also those guys called the tall, white, tall whites who collaborate with the government. Um, I guess there's good guys and bad guys. And uh, yeah, I'd like to ride their spaceship one day. Yeah, there's also the Pleiadians. Hmm. I don't know if you've heard about the Pleiadians. They're, are they like the sort of, they're trying to help? Yes, humanity. supposedly they're, uh, they met up with this guy named Billy Mayer in Switzerland, and they uh, they wanted to help uh, protect Earth from human destruction, uh, which is a very optimistic narrative, and I hope it's real. Did you ever meet an alien? I met an alien, but I have an abduction story. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Well, I didn't. I didn't get abducted, but mm. there was a shapeshifter mm. that an owl that chap it knocked on the window when I was young, and like, yeah, people. When I tell people about it, they're like, yeah, but that's just you just imagined that. Mm. But I mean, I have like, I've thought about that for like twenty years, and I'm now willing to admit, yeah, it's not an alien, but there's still something inside that says. Yeah, it is an alien. <laughs> but apparently owls, they get confused by their own reflection. And they think it's another owl. So they go up to windows and try to fight. So that's probably what I've seen. But yeah. I think it's connected to Catholicism. I think a lot of Catholics believe in aliens. <laughs> Carl Jung has a book about UFOs and connecting it to Jesus Christ as a mm. as a sort of they're the same the image yeah yeah phenomenon phenomenology of like this desire for somebody yeah I don't actually know anything about it mm. <laughs> do you believe in aliens Teresa no I'm a very rational person with very scientific outlook <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to tell your abduction story or do you want to just mm. keep it? This is a good opportunity to share it to the wider public. Um, it was, I think, in the year 2013. Um, my, my friend, my good friend Jabari, he, he and I were hanging out in my place. It was a basement. 
and we we are both very interested in extraterrestrials and we formed a curatorial collective that was very interested in conspiracy theories as a departure point for curatorial work and a lot of the time we talk about tall whites and grays and stuff like that just out of curiosity and out of fun and one night uh, we yeah he slept over in our living room and I was sleeping in my bedroom and I hear this uh, knock on my door and he was like Patrick Patrick are you are you awake and I was like you know I was like kind of half dazed and I was like I was like what's up what's wrong he's like and my friend was like oh I heard these like weird sounds in the living room and I, I kind of just laughed and kind of like whatever man like like just just go to sleep like we're trying to sleep here so I went back and tried to sleep again but then he, he came knocking again and was and which got me really worried too because I was like oh maybe there is really something weird in the living room so I was like you you should just like sleep in my room like sleep on the floor and so we slept on the floor and we were passed out and I had this vivid dream where I was half conscious and I heard this weird hum like almost like a buzz and I felt like I was in this air air conditioned room like mm, this kind of sound and I felt something like prying open in my forehead just this weird sensation that something's like being pulled and I couldn't move I was like this this like pan of like when you get those weird dreams where you get paralyzed sleep paralysis and uh, and it really made me scared because I was like what's happening and so the next following morning I woke up and I told my friend I was like I was like I had this weird dream last night and I don't know if it's a dream because it felt so real I felt like I was paralyzed and I felt like someone was prying open to my forehead and I was like, I think I was abducted by an alien last night. <laughs> and he told me he had the exact same uh, sensation and sound uh, without us talking about it the same night. And ever since then, we really tried to avoid talking about it too much. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that when I talk about my alien story. I'm like... I don't want to. I don't want to say it's wrong or true. Like, I just want it to just be. Yeah. Like it's for me. Mm. So when I talk about it, I feel very weird. Mm. Like I, d I don't want to convince you of anything. Yeah. But I experience. You can just high too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's also just a dream. Like, I mean, what does that mean? Like, what do these things mean? To well, to weird, us. The weird part for me was the shared. Yeah. Dream, hmm. which was just like that's too too weird. Yeah. To be the same. Yeah. Yeah. Where the alien is here somewhere. Yeah, it's over here. Uh, there's a flying saucer, and then there's another one that says alien. Oh yeah. Taxi, alien taxi. 
I really love that Pleiades sort of idea. Like, that's always how I've felt about aliens, is that they're... But I don't like the greys or the long whites. But I do like uh, the idea that they have, they're going to help. <laughs> My dad has a theory about the greys. Yeah? Yeah. You want to tell? My so gray aliens are the the kind of the cliche aliens that are depicted in cartoons in Hollywood with a big eyes and a big head. They're kind of like four feet tall and skinny with big heads. Um, but my my dad's part of this uh, spiritual fraternity, you could say, and they believe that gray aliens are a byproduct of another alien race. And greys actually have no soul, uh, you could say, a kind of unique pattern, because they're just clones. And supposedly greys are very jealous of humans, because we have our individual characteristics. That's why they love abducting people and studying our anatomy, because they want to mimic us. Um, and that's why there's a lot of stories about greys encountered in deserts or them coming to your house and stuff. Um, but what's interesting is this, he was referencing this article that greys have no blood in their flesh. And they really love to study humans so they can simulate even our biological anatomy. Um, and supposedly they don't have a reproductive organs, um, so it's interesting. Yeah. Maybe yeah, maybe they're maybe they want to experience pleasure or desire, like the human dimension of uh, emotions, because supposedly they they're just cold beings. But if they're just cold beings, then even if they could reproduce everything that produces emotions, they wouldn't be able, they wouldn't have a basis to feel it with. So that doesn't really make sense to me. There has to be something there for them to, or uh, some sort of register. Who inside of them is feeling something if they create the organs to produce pleasure with? I, from my understanding, I think greys are, well, because greys are created by a different alien race. Greys are supposedly a, a slave race of another alien race. And uh, I guess I, what, when I think of greys, I think they're just these curious beings, but supposedly by default, they are negative creatures because they just violate they don't uh, they just violate you without you asking permission in a way you know they're not like they're not here to help humans advance in any way they're just here for their own for their own purpose well in psychoanalysis um, the classical concept of humans Mm. um, and how they um, operate um, for pleasure is that it's a destructive drive because mm. this kind of thing that's called autopoiesis is conceptually based on how 
um, microbes um, proliferate, like how they um, become more, and that is a destructive process where other things get destroyed. And apparently, people like Freud and even Lacan based the human um, drive or pleasure on the microbial. Um, destructive model, which nowadays people contend, mm. um, especially feminist psychoanalysts, but mm. that sounds exactly like those aliens. But I think that's why I've got into Carl Jung. But Carl Jung's a fucking. He's he's a spe- he's he's very much into all this. He's very against Freud's analysis there of that reduction of everything being this sort of reduced to a sort of sexual drive or like the death drive or whatever like he's seems more open to different what is the protection for aliens uh well if you believe in crystal work uh it's important to grid your house um with the intention of making a force field um good protection well so there's crystals and minerals that actually attract extraterrestrials and there's stones and crystals that deflect any form of contact um so a lot of meteorites for example like moldavite or tektites they support uh, extraterrestrial connection and some some psychics some mediums are very into channeling other dimensional beings which could be interesting if you really know what you're doing but sometimes you might contact beings you don't want to contact and that could lead to problems you know uh, i know i've had friends who had experiences becoming schizophrenic because of dabbling with this kind of stuff um so yeah there, a, a good crystal i guess is amethyst is really good for psychic protection not just with ets but also with inner um, psychic vampires you probably know people that are like that just you know people when you hang out with people and you feel drained those are psychic vampires because they hang out with you to to suck your happy energy. Um, so it's good to carry amethyst or to use amethyst as, as a grid. And you put that intention that you are making a force field. So when you're sleeping, if you go on astral traveling, you're... Do you have amethyst on you right now? You've gridded it. <laughs> It's all set up. <laughs> no grays in here. <laughs> Laura, this is the only time in your life you've been protected from the grays. <laughs> Do you? All right. Mm. She's protected. I didn't know amethyst I love. Yeah, uh, very strong um, stone. Mm. And shungite. Shungite is a black stone that is good for absorbing negative energy. Mm. And electronic pollution, mm. EMF, electromagnetic pollution. Mm. Like you hear about people who are allergic to Wi-Fi and electromagnetic radiation. 
is very, very strange. But I mean, I have like a microphone that picks up electromagnetic signals and it's like everywhere. Like in here, it would just be picking up the light and it would be picking up like the sound of the electricity traveling. And then there's a fish at the museum that communicates with electromagnetic. So I've used it to like listen to it, investigating, and they even talk to each other doing that. And bees, they talk to each other. Like that thing that dance they do, they, it's sort of to do with the release of static energy and that's how they communicate together. So even if a bee is traveling from flower to flower, like it can land on a flower and just sense immediately if another bee has been there because like if if there's no static energy so you, that's why you see bees are flying around and then they just land very and then just go away because they they know that the flower has already been all the pollen is gone because another bee has been there the static surge has left the bee down the flower into the ground so they yeah so I feel sorry for people who can or feel that they can sense those things because, I don't know, maybe they can. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, there's so much unseen phenomena yeah. that we don't see. Yeah. You know? And I think if, if we see them all at once, it could drive us crazy. Mm. <laughs> yeah, totally. If we see auras and dimensional beings or ghosts, yeah. you know, like it'd be too much. Yeah. Like this physical reality is already too much <laughs> that is consciousness it's like consciousness is a filter against all that extra information that we can't see and in a way this installation is kind of a tapping into the frequency of whose museum mm. yeah oh, <laughs> I was just saying like how this installation I think is also tapping into the frequency of whose museum and you're kind of tuning into that channel of what whose museum's identity is in a in a kind of a flat plane um, it's that's um something that Patrick has done here that's going to confront us with having to take a look at what the museum is saying um, with all the objects and drawings say to each other and um, to get a big picture of what this collection is and maybe what it's what it wants to do or I don't know it's it's really an interesting gift because we can't we couldn't have imagined it like this otherwise Teresa, you've been here a few days since Wednesday, Monday. And what has been your experience of uh, being here while installation happens? And while we've been here, there have been so, so many passers-by who looked in. And I think what we see from outside is that we have the big logo on the window that is in black and white. Um, a friend of ours, um, Joe, another associate of the museum, has pointed that out. And the way that Patrick's done 
his installation really frames or it it in the window it merges with the logo in a way that um you just have to look and you'll never stop seeing stuff so um yeah i hope maybe this could inspire some new requests too um, and like Laura said, now you see many more things in relation to each other. So um, let's make some recordings of what people see when they look at it. What happens after chapter five? I don't, I'm just in a question. Go ahead. Me? Do it. I have no clue what's happening. I really need to pee. <laughs> Next year, are we going to keep going? Put the beat on.